If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. My name is Lexi Linger, and I am your producer and your host for the day. I am so excited to be speaking with Daisy Dowling, author of Work Parent, The Complete Guide to Succeeding on the Job, Staying True to Yourself, and Raising Happy Kids. Now, before we get into that, I have a couple things I have to share. First of all, disclaimer, due to IT issues, weather, and COVID, my six-year-old and three-year-old are in the house with me today, and we use very powerful microphones, so I apologize in advance for any chaos that we pick up. But given that we're talking about being working parents today, I think it's very fitting. The other thing I want to let you know is, is that we have a couple exciting things coming up with successful nonprofits. We have a strategic planning webinar coming up on April 14th. And in May, we're actually launching a book club for executive directors. And that's going to include some of our favorite books about leadership and nonprofit management. So if you're interested in either of those, please make sure you check out our website, SuccessfulNonprofits.com. Now, Daisy. Daisy's background is in career coaching. She is a career and a leadership expert. But when her clients started asking questions about their struggles balancing working and parenting, she didn't quite have the answers for them. And so she started looking into it. And one of the fruits of her labor is this book I have sitting next to me, Work Parent. So as a a working parent myself, I am so excited to have a real expert on the complete guide to succeeding on the job, staying true to yourself, and raising happy kids. I'd like to know how to do that. So I'm so happy to have Daisy here to discuss her book with us. Daisy, thanks for joining us and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. So you shared with me before we started a little more on the origin of work parent. Could you please share that with listeners? Yeah. So I had, uh, this was 10 years ago, I had a very happy, thriving career as a leadership and executive coach inside a big for-profit corporation. And I loved my work because it was about helping other people succeed and get to where they wanted to go professionally to get to that next career level, to get to that next promotion. 
It was so gratifying. What wasn't so gratifying was not being able to help those same people figure out how to achieve that career success while also being the mothers and fathers they wanted to be. So, so many of my coaches would say, Daisy, thanks for helping me figure out how to be more time efficient or get a hold of my calendar. But now I'm a dad and I've got to get a hold of my calendar, but also make it to daycare pickup at 6 p.m. every day. What advice do you have on that? And I just didn't have a lot of resource or experience. And so I sort of thought, hmm, and I would sort of avoid those questions, honestly. I'm embarrassed to say that. You can see where this is going, right? So I became a mom myself uh, 10 years ago, and I, I have two little girls. And when I did, while I was still on parental leave, I thought to myself, oh gosh, I really don't know. People have been asking me these questions. I really don't know how to do this either. And so one day I, I bundled my then two month old daughter up and pushed her stroller down to the flagship Barnes and Noble here where I live in New York City and just assumed I could go pluck something off a shelf. I asked the, the clerk at the store, um, where's the working parent section or where's the working parent book? And he pointed to one side of the bookstore, which was, you know, like 900 books on career success and pointed to the other side how to be a great parent. And there was just nothing that really brought the two together. So very long story short, I thought, well, hmm, if, if there's no go-to resource for this, maybe I can try and find some answers on my own. And I started asking every mom or dad who would speak to me and they were all so generous and so forthcoming. But I asked each one, what advice do you have for me? What do you wish you had known when you became a working parent? What are the tools and tricks and techniques and life hacks and self hacks that you use to make this all work? And I found an unbelievably rich load of advice. And I thought to myself, gosh, this should be captured and shared. And that's exactly what the book is. And that's exactly what I do now day to day in my coaching and my consulting work is take all that aggregate information and wisdom and support. And I put a coaching wrapper around it. And I try to help other moms and dads at all phases of the journey, figure out how to bring these two spheres of their life together. I have to say one of my favorite things about your book are that you include quotes from real parents. And that supports a lot of what you're telling us and a lot of what you're recommending to us and puts a real life layer over that. I love that. It's one of my favorite pieces. And I just, I so agree about this being a guidebook. Like as I was reading it, I almost thought, well, this is more useful than that what to expect when you're expecting book. Like I, I wish that I'd had this while I was pregnant and, and getting ready even just to have a baby because you even go into things like you know, doctors and being ready for colds and viruses. It just felt like a much, a much more thorough how-to guide for both baby and kid and me than anything else that I've ever come across. I think two things are tough about working parenthood. I mean, there's a lot that's tough, right? I mean, every single day we're all, all living this. We know it's hard, but two things make it extra hard. And one is that before you go into it, you don't really know what to expect. I guess that's true of a lot of things, but, but it's hard to know what's ahead. And when you can't prepare, it's hard to feel confident and ready. And the second is that all of us experience working parenthood individually, right? I am the only person in the world who holds this particular job and is mother to my particular kids. 
And that can be lonely. And so I wanted to break that what's ahead, that kind of sense of mystery and lay it out for people. And so people can feel more, more expert, more confident as they go through all of working parenthood. And also that they feel like they have a team of parents in their corner. And so throughout the book, I, I share these little anecdotes and stories from different working parents who, who cheer you on. And I think that's so essential. Absolutely. And that mindset of it really does take a village. And it's okay that a parent can't do everything by themselves. They're not really expected to. They do have that whole team with them there to support them. And as you said, cheer them on. I wanted to pause for a moment and and shift over to your definition of work parent. We, we hear working parent all the time, but you are very specific in using the term work parent. Could you describe that and define that for us, please? Yeah, absolutely. So I think of anybody who is both working and raising a child they love as being one whole essential person doing two distinct roles, but as one integrated human being. And I'm the daughter of an English teacher. And it always drove me a little bit nuts that when we talk about being a working parent, there's always a distinction like, well, you're working and a parent or work life balance has a slash down the center of that phrase. I, I, just the idea popped into mind one day as I was thinking about writing this book. Why don't we call ourselves what we are? One word, inseparable, that describes us in our wholeness and in our completion, it, even though we have two very distinct sides of our of our day and of our lives. That really spoke to me because I imagine you feel similarly. Like while there are distinctive roles, it's not distinctive in me as a person. When I'm at work, I'm still a parent. I'm still worried about my children. Um, I'm trying to make time sometimes in my day to be with them. And when I'm parenting, I'm also still thinking about, well, man, what's going on at work? You know, we're also consulting. So sometimes I end up working strange hours or I'm, I'm keeping an eye out for a really time sensitive email. And so it does really blend all in me as a single person. So that just really spoke to me. And something else that I really liked is that you really emphasized work parent is is anybody who's working and is also parenting. So it's not necessarily, you know, the biological parent of that of that child, but an adoptive parent or a grandparent or whoever it is yes. that is doing both of those roles. Yes, and any type of professional role. So I, I think it is. it has been a step forward during the pandemic, as, as painful as the pandemic has been for everyone, but a step forward in terms of how we see working parents, that working parents are in every field, function, every family structure, every phase of parenting. So you can be a, a guardian to a child. You can be a parent who's working on a very, very part-time schedule. You can be maybe even a spouse who's a full-time parent, but you're part of a working parent family. You're part of that unit. These are issues that really reach so many of us. There's 52 million working parents in the United States. Um, and that's a big number. And we're really diverse. Absolutely. So I'd like to break down the rules a little bit. And let's let's take a moment and, and talk about the working side. Something that caught my attention in your book is this big focus on branding and branding yourself at work. Could you tell us a little bit about why being focused on branding is so important and also give us some tips about how to, you know, not brand ourselves as a tired, rundown adult, but somebody competent and with it 
while we're in the office. Yeah. So we're going to turn this into a coaching session sort of real time in a way. <laughs> Great. So, so here, here's why branding and why owning your story and owning your brand is really important. And there's kind of, there's two pieces to it. First is your confidence. So many working parents, you know, we can be uncertain or questioning ourselves or just tired and run down from the demands of parenting. We go into work mode, whether that's physically going into a workplace or sitting down in front of our laptops, whatever it is. And we often feel that the uncertainty or the questioning or the fatigue that we're feeling is somehow super transparent to the person we're dealing with or to the, you know, to our team. That's not a great feeling. That's not an empowering feeling. That doesn't put you at the very top of your professional game. If you're thinking other people are maybe judging me or don't see me as successful or confident or what have you. So I think it's really important to grab hold of your story and make certain that you're helping other people see you the way you want. The other thing that that does for you also, so that's that's a an identity, a self-image issue. It also puts you forward professionally. So just take a moment and think about the people that you really want to work with. Sure, maybe they grapple with a lot outside of their professional life. That's that's true for a lot of us. But in general, people want to work with the others who are focused, engaged, thoughtful, collaborative, et cetera. I mean, the strategic. I mean, there's so many different words you can describe, use to describe sort of a you know, a great colleague or an ideal counterparty. And the more you have that kind of positive brand, the more people inside your organization and outside your organization are going to want to work with you now and over the course of your career. So here's an exercise I want you to think about doing, which is to take half an hour. I know half an hour is really hard for, for most working parents. It is for me, but to try and find some time when you can just sit and think, you can do this yourself. You can do it with a, with your, you know, a partner, if you have one or a friend or even a colleague you trust, I want you to think about the five to seven phrases or adjectives that you would love for other people you work with to describe you. The, the things that are important to you, they're authentic, they're descriptors, they're maybe values that you hold dear, but they're the ways you want other people to see you, the things you want to show up on your performance review. So that might be that you are, um, you know, efficient or thoughtful or creative, or again, you can, you know, each and every one of us is going to have a different list. If you have that list in mind, and if you can think when you get on your next Zoom or you have your next interaction with a client, for example, it's okay if you're a little tired. It's okay if you're a little frayed by being a working parent or that daycare drop-off that didn't go well or whatever, but you know what you're trying to get across and you have confidence in that identity. So it's just a little bit of a, a psychological and then practical hack for allowing yourself to step into your professional fullness in a way that, that can be hard when you've got a lot of things competing for your attention. Yeah, absolutely. I was trying to think of my own words while you were telling me about that, but I, I think I've decided that's something I'm going to have to do later. Um, sit down and give that a try. Thank you. You mentioned a little bit ago about owning a narrative or owning your own narrative. Surrounding some difficult conversations or when you have maybe some uh, employers or colleagues that aren't very supportive of you becoming a parent or 
of you already being a parent. Could we delve into that a little bit? You know, what does that mean to own your narrative? And and again, some tips that you'd have for for parents to own their narrative in the workplace. Yeah, sometimes the people around us aren't very supportive and sometimes they're supportive or neutral, but they just don't know what you're thinking. Or they say the wrong thing. Exactly. So so let's say, for example, you're coming back from parental leave and a colleague who's neutral, not unsupportive, but says to you, oh, are you, you know, what's it like to be back? Or are you happy to be back? Now, if you don't have a storyline ready, if you don't know what you're going to say, that question can really knock you a bit off balance, right? Because you're probably a bit, um, you know, emotional about being back at work. I know I certainly was. Sleep deprived at that point. Right. And so if you say, oh, gee, I don't know, it's really hard. Or if you just look sort of upset or shaken at that question, it can completely inadvertently put the idea in that other person's mind that you are not a committed, hardworking focused professional who is, you know, really wants that next promotion. For example, they think, oh, hmm, she seems a little bit, or he seems a little bit ambivalent or conflicted. They might read your reaction the wrong way. So instead think ahead a little bit. And so when somebody says, are you, Hey, are you, you know, how are you feeling about being back from leave? You can say, well, I'm absolutely head over heels in love with the baby. And it's really hard to be away from him now, now that I'm back at work. But I am so excited to be back and to see all members of the team. The project that we're on is essential. And I know that the meeting that we're going to have next Thursday is really going to allow us to make some progress and take some steps forward for that. I look forward to seeing you then. You haven't, you haven't been inauthentic. You, you've been your parenting self, but at the same time, you've put forth the value that you are going to bring to this organization and to the job. Right. And that also goes back to branding and and how you want your colleagues to see you. Exactly. Or sometimes it might be dispelling other preconceptions or potential misunderstandings more directly and saying something like, Yes, uh, you know, as you know, I am a very devoted mom, but I am fully committed to remaining in this organization for the long term. And I'd like to talk about some of the things that I want to do this year to position myself for promotion. So, so be direct and take charge of that conversation rather than waiting for the other person to come up with their own storyline on you. And so just to reflect something you said again, a good way to be prepared for that is to kind of, it sounds like think about what kind of questions or comments you might be hearing and going ahead and preparing that story ahead of time so you're ready. Yeah, and also maybe not letting yourself get rattled by things that may not be quite so supportive. So one of the things I hear from parents all the time in my coaching sessions is that they're on the receiving end of unsolicited advice or commentary about how hard working parenthood is. Oh my gosh, wow, it must be really hard for you right now. Or they give you a piece of advice that, maybe isn't so useful or you don't see as relevant. In that case, don't, again, don't be rattled. Just say, thanks for that perspective, or I'll take that on board. Or yeah, you know, it is hard, but I'm really fortunate to have a good base of support at home and in the office. And I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. When I get those comments myself, it usually just shocks me into silence. And I get, so that's a good thing for me to prepare myself for those kinds of comments so that I'm I'm ready a little bit more and and not just staring at somebody blankly like where is this coming from 
Exactly. Or, or getting annoyed or thinking mm-hmm. later, gee, I should have said, or whatever. I, you know, it, it, working parenthood takes so much energy and we all want to be really careful about not letting other situations or individuals or challenges we face siphon off any more energy from us than they need to. Absolutely. So if we can turn to the other role, the parenting role, um, you actually go into some pretty great detail about ways to really use that time wisely, especially as a, as a work parent, you, you don't have as much time at home. And, and again, as you said, you might have somebody that's working just part-time. You might have somebody that's working 60 plus hours a week or traveling. Um, but regardless, you don't get to spend all your time with your kids. So how to really take advantage of that opportunity and build you know, memorable, healthy experiences for everybody. Could you give us some, some recommendations on, on how to do that? Yeah, there are two things that are really, really important here. I mean, there's many, but two things that are super core. The first is to focus on action instead of talking. So, and this is true for kids at any age, but particularly kind of littler ones. It's true for teenagers too. Um, Adults bond with each other through conversation. So if I want to show care or concern for you or create some relatability, I'll start asking you questions. How was your day? How's work? What was that like? Tell me about yourself. Children simply don't function that way. You can't ask a five-year-old to narrate his experience and come up with themes and trends and relate to you as if he's 30, right? It's just, that's why you get a monosyllable or silence, or he runs away or whatever, when you start, ah, was school. Instead of going into that verbal connection, do an action connection. And by that, I mean, let's say you get home at the end of your shift and you come through the front door, get on the ground with your child who is playing with Legos and start building something. And you don't even have to speak or open the, you know, when you're, if you're working from home and you come out of your home office, open up the toy cabinet and say, what should we play and play whatever it is that your, you know, eight-year-old wants to, what will happen with that non-pressured time is that your child will feel they have your full attention. They'll feel relaxed that they're not performing in some way that they're not under pressure and they'll begin relating to you in this easy way and conversation will follow. So that's one way to make that, that time more reliably satisfying for both parties. The second thing is to use routines and rituals. So adults kind of like variety, right? We want to do different things and see new people and all that stuff. Children find repetition awesome, right? If you if you watch a child's TV program, a, a TV series like Sesame Street or something, every episode really looks almost identical to the next episode. It's like the same theme music and the characters wear the same costumes. And all of that is done because those producers and Hollywood know that kids love being able to say, oh, this is the part where Big Bird does that. Or, um, you know, I'm, let me sing along with the song because I know all the words because I listen to it in every episode. Take a page from that playbook and give your child a routine or a ritual that they can look forward to and enjoy that sense of mastery. Like, oh, this is the part where mom gets home from work and gives me a high five in the, by the door every day, or we sing the same song before we sit down to dinner. Or if you're, if you've got a 15 year old, make sure that you're going out for pancakes at the diner every Saturday morning. 
it takes you out of improv mode thinking like, uh, what am I going to do to make this good time with my kid? Because you, you have kind of a little bit of a set routine yourself and it will give your child that wonderful sense of security and predictability and, and joy when they see that common thing, that thing that they can predict, they see that coming. So those are two different ways to think about kind of scoping out your time to, to make it connective and rewarding. Yeah. So the, the other night I ended up working a lot later than I was expecting. And it happened to be the day before I was going to be away from home all day. And I'd known about that, but I wasn't prepared to end up working all day and all evening the day before. And I'd had these grand plans. I'm going to take my kids on a hike or we're going to at least walk around the neighborhood and we're going to play something and we're going to have some really good quality time. And I was initially so upset about losing that time with them. But, you know, I'm in the process of reading your book to get ready for today. And that that advice came back to me and I was like, you know, I'm just, I'm going to put close my computer for 30 minutes. And I went and I spent 15 minutes um, sitting in the rocking chair with my daughter and we were singing all her favorite songs and I tucked her in bed and I felt so at peace knowing like that we'd had this really great quality time, even though I hadn't seen her really all day and knew I wouldn't see her the next day either. And then did the same thing with my son. He's really into Pokemon right now. So I went and sat on the floor with him and we were looking through his Pokemon cards and He's at that age where he's he's noticing a lot about the world around him and he has lots of questions, you know, all kinds of things like, you know, trying to even understand something as like a credit card. I don't don't know why that catches his attention, but that did. So just sitting on the floor looking through Pokemon cards with him, just answering whatever questions he has going on in his mind at the moment. You know, it was just that 30 minutes for the day, but I, I ended the day feeling so good about the work I'd accomplished at work and what I'd accomplished and the time I'd spent with my family. So just sharing with you, you you, you are the person that inspired me to to make sure that even though I lost out on this other opportunity I was hoping hoping to have, that I still felt so fulfilled at the end of the day just by making that space for them and doing exactly what you told me to do. I, I'm so glad to hear that. And if you do find yourself again, in a situation where, gosh, I didn't, I didn't see my kids a lot today or where I didn't work as hard as I expected or wanted to today. Uh, and that, gee, that's going to happen again tomorrow. If you do feel out of balance in that way, everyone talks about work-life balance. I, I, I also just want to remind you that get yourself out of daily scorekeeping, right? It, it's not, you. Do, there's no Supreme Working Parent Evaluation Committee someplace with a giant scoreboard, you know, saying, oh, today was good or bad or this or that. Think about the week in total. Okay, maybe you didn't spend a lot of time yesterday or today, but Saturday you'll be fully dedicated to the kids and you're going to try and strive for that overall balance instead of having every day look the same. Yeah, that's so true. I think for me in that day, it was just, I had expected to have that time and then it was just gone. And it was the, also the first time my son looked at me and said, but I haven't seen you all day. And, and he'd never said something like that to me before. And it just kind of hurt inside like, oh, man, you know, he's he noticed he noticed that I wasn't home. Well, I'm home all the time because it's COVID. But like I wasn't in the room with him and engaging him the way I usually do. But yeah, so true. And well, and you know, today it's a Friday. So I do look forward to having good quality time with them this weekend. Um See if the weather clears up. Maybe we'll get a hike in or something anyway. Um, yeah. But but you, you mentioned, or, or as we've been talking, you know, parenting and working and being a work parent is just 
exhausting and you can get so bogged down in the moment. And your book shares so many great questions and templates for working through some of those routines, like identifying who your support group is going to be or how you're going to handle a parent being gone for a work trip or something like that. But, you know, sometimes I find that I'm just so tired and so focused on the moment and just trying to survive that moment that I forget to take a deep breath, step back, and and actually strategize and think about some of those things. Do you have any recommendations for <laughs> the exhausted parent that forgets to strategize? Yeah, the the first thing that I'm going to do, which just to put yourself on your front foot um, and feeling confident and better and more powerful and, and more um, uh, just just better is to keep a list for yourself. Um, you, you keep a to-do list, which I'm sure is 10 miles long. Yes, it is. I want you to think about also keeping a done list. The done list is where you throw everything from big to small. Um, you finished that huge work project on time and under budget, but you also threw in a load of laundry this morning, or you had a great, you know, 15 minutes with your daughter last night before bed, whatever it is, you put that on your done list. And because as working parents, we're always, we're running hard on this treadmill. We're always looking forward and we forget about how much ground we've covered. So when you're feeling a little bit ground down or a little bit like, oh my gosh, how do I get myself out of off of feeling like I'm on this treadmill, you pull out your done list and you remind yourself of the incredible amount that you have done, achieved, accomplished. You re-anchor yourself in that feeling of I am successful and I am doing this. And yes, I am tired, but I, but I'm going to start from a feeling of, of accomplishment of being on my front foot. So that's just to kind of get to the starting line. The other thing that I really recommend that people do and think about is, and, and this is sort of more of a, a thought exercise, is to imagine where a year from now or two years from now, you can do it later, you could think 10 years from now, but I just like the more intermediate term, where you want to be working parent-wise. Like, what are your goals a year from now at the, at the you know, on New Year's Eve 2022, uh, you know, as we're about to go into next year, what do you want to be able to say that you did a certain amount or, you know, a special type of work on the job that you were available to the kids or eat dinner with them most nights that you set the parameters for yourself and allow yourself to do some active imagination so that you know, in the here and now what's important and what you want to prioritize and focus on. And you're not constantly beating yourself up about every little tiny thing that you feel like you've done right or wrong. Yeah, that's great advice. Thank you. So we are running out of time very quickly, but I, I had one last question I, I really wanted to make sure we got to, and that is how employers can be supportive of work parents. Do you have just a couple thoughts yeah. on, on how workplaces can yeah, be more welcoming and helpful to a parent? Yeah, so, so there are three real ways that workplaces can move the working parent thing forward and be supportive. There's policies, which are things like, you know, parental leave and how long it is and how much time you get. There's programs. Those are things like, uh, is there a mentoring program for, you know, parent to parent or, uh, you know, similar. And then there's practices. 
And practices are all those little things that we do day in, day out that maybe we don't even notice. It's how we talk to each other. It's how we manage our time. It's how we manage. It's how we relate. And policies and programs, don't get me wrong, really, really, really important. But if you're an employer, particularly one where maybe you don't have just endless resources and you don't have a whole infrastructure and tons of programming you can do, focus on the incredible lift you can get from those little practices. So that might be things like, you know, thinking about or equipping your managers to be a little bit more supportive of working parents by doing things like uh, scheduling all Zoom calls so that they start five minutes past the hour instead of at the hour. Because working parents are usually transitioning between a lot of things and multitasking. And if we can have just that little bit, if we're working remotely, if we can have just that little bit of extra give, I know that kind of small thing sounds, it's like, well, how's that going to move the needle? It's so small, but remember that those practices are really what create the texture of our lives and, and our overall experience. So if you can say as a manager, you know, to the working parents on your team, Hey, how are you getting on? How are things going? Is there anything that you want me to know about your life outside of work that maybe I don't? You're not over-promising. You're not building an expensive program. You're simply in a very appropriate way expressing support and concern and interest in the welfare of working parents. So it's this kind of small technique that can really give tremendous impact and and help move every organization forward. And that's where I focus is on these practices. Absolutely. Thanks. So I want to move to the off the map question. And and usually this would be something unrelated so that listeners have an opportunity to get to know you a little bit better. But while I was reading your book, I came across the concept of the point of control. And listeners, this is, um, I think I actually lifted this definition straight out of your book, Daisy, a single small part of your life that you have complete authority over. So can just, just a small simple way to feel like you have a little bit of control in the sea of chaos that is working and parenting and life in general. And so Daisy, I wanted to ask you, what is your point of control? Yeah. So, so in the daily mess (laughs) that that is, and, and chaos and details and swirling to do's, et cetera, that is my life and the mess that is my small New York city apartment where, where nothing ever seems to be put away or in a place or whatever. The thing that makes me feel like I am top of game and grounded and that I have it together is my very small New York city apartment closet. So I may not be anyone's fashionista and I've never tried to be, but my closet, everything is hung up tidily and neatly in color order. You know, my shoes are are placed in a nice little way. And I open up my closet door and I see this very, you know, organized sort of, you know, three foot wide. It's it's very narrow, but this uh, organized, tidy, visually appealing space. And I can have a heck of a day in front of me and feel like, yeah, I got this. So, so that's my, my one little thing. Oh, I love that. So, so do your girls stay out of your closet? Not all the time, um, but they have caught me. I'm going to embarrass myself here a bit. They have caught me looking uh, online at pictures of those 
like closet systems that you can get at Ikea and stuff where they show you pictures of closets that look perfectly organized. So they don't always respect my space, but they do um, help me laugh at myself because they catch me in the act of engaging with my point of control. Like, mom, what are you doing? Looking at closets. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So uh, we are not in a tiny apartment in New York, but we we do have a, a relatively small house for four people. And I have been struggling since COVID where where kind of the only extra space in the house has now been taken over as an office. And so there's not really the space for everybody to create that safe space anymore. And I've been really struggling with that. So you've inspired me, like maybe that's Maybe I need to work on my closet. I, I last week had decided I'm going to go buy one of those pool floats and I'm going to start hiding in the bathtub so I can like sit in there and read, you know, because like I just I just need a space for myself. Um, but closet that that sounds probably more productive than hiding in the bathtub. <laughs> I, I talk to working parents who have all different kinds of points of control. I mean, for, for some people, it's when I have one client who gets up extra early every morning and and sort of has a, a very brief, it's like a five-minute spiritual practice that she does. I have other people who um, exercise and that's their point of control. Like I, you know, the rest of my life may feel really overwhelming and, and disorganized in some ways, but I do my 50 sit-ups every day. And that's that makes me feel like I'm on top of it. Find the thing that works for you, it whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I had never had the language to describe this before, this point of control language. Um, but I, I realized and laughed about myself because while my, my children were infants, it was a diaper bag. And I was I would throw down about that diaper bag. It had to be packed. It had to be packed just so with this checklist of things in it and placed in the same spot by the door. And it ju- I felt a sense of security knowing that it was there and all the chaos. If I needed like I always knew, well, there's diapers in there if I can't get to a diaper for whatever reason or if we just need to run out the door, it was there and it was ready for me. And even at the end of the day, pulling things out and repacking it was so soothing. Like, okay, I've got this. Life is good because the diaper bag's ready and I can handle whatever's coming at me. Um, but my my husband pointed out we don't have diapers in there anymore. So I and I that again laughed at myself thinking, well, maybe that's part of why all of a sudden I feel like I'm kind of floundering at home. Like I don't really have my space anymore and we don't really need the diaper bag anymore. And I, I need to find my new point of control. So I'm going to I'm gonna work on my my list of seven adjectives for what I want to be presenting to the world and my point of control. That's my homework I'm taking away from this episode in this conversation. Oh, good. But <laughs> But homework that only you can grade and the only grade is an A, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Daisy, I just, I want to thank you again for coming on and having this conversation with us. I know, um, well, you've given us the number. There's a lot of working parents out there, a lot of working parents and nonprofits, and certainly, um, you know, nobody's alone in, in trying to figure out how to be a work parent. So, so thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Well, I'd like to make sure that listeners know how to find you. And that's at your website, workparent.com. Very easy to remember. And when you go on that website, you 
listeners will learn more about Daisy's coaching and consulting practice. She also has some phenomenal articles. So I I went on there to get ready for this interview today and thought, you know, I'm just going to look through some of these articles and pull a couple to recommend. And I I don't want to admit to you how long I spent actually reading a bunch of them. So I'm just going to tell you, go check them out because all of them are wonderful. You can also find a link to her book, Work Parent. It, it's on Amazon and also in local bookstores, but there's a link on her website too. Daisy, thanks again. Thank you so much. Well, listeners, you can always find that URL for Work Parent on our website, SuccessfulNonprofits.com, along with our show notes and, of course, links and more information to our upcoming webinar and our upcoming book club. If you like today's episode, I also want to point out two others to you. Episode 179, Eight Proven Ways to Feel Happier at Work with B. Bocalandro, and episode 200, Self-Care Tips for Coming Out Stronger with Beth Cantor. Listeners, that is our show for the week. I hope you have gained some insight to help you and your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. And of course, I have to share the disclaimer. I am not an accountant or an attorney, and neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This material has been provided for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please always consult a qualified licensed professional about such matters. And if you don't know a professional, please reach out to us and we would definitely share any contact information we have. 